There's a reason why things get our attention. Regardless of what they are, there's a reason. There's something about them that when they capture our attention, it says something about us. It's been said that any, any, when a culture does art, the art expresses something about the culture. When it does music, it expresses something about the culture. And then when a culture fixates on something, it says something not only about what's happened, but about the people who are responding to it. And so today we're going to take a look and see what some of the things are that have been trending. There are many, many things. It's not just what makes the news. It's what's capturing people's attention. And so we're going to take a variety of them. What we've noticed in this is a whole lot of the stuff that, that happens at trends it tends to be really tough stuff. War and disease and, and problems. Um, so we're trying to get a mix of some of that stuff. So we're going to start with something that that has been trending this week and kind of put a few things together that have been trending that have to do with science and um, and a search and and a speculation and a search of the cosmos. Here's a handful of things that trended this week. One is that NASA's Mars uh, Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution Mission, which is called MAVEN, so an artist rendering of it, today, later today, will go into our orbit around Mars. The purpose of this $671 million mission is to, um, is to go around and, and register the atmosphere and the atmosphere changes around the planet of Mars. And there's a lot of focus on Mars. It'll join a couple other things that are already there. Curiosity has been on the surface, is drilling holes in Mars, doing testing. And the re- there's a reason why there's a focus on Mars. And this is what has been said by uh, a space historian at the Smithsonian When they asked the question, why Mars, he said, uh, fundamentally, all the investigations seem to revolve around this question, the question of life. They're looking for signs of life. Even though that search has shifted over the decades from finding Martians to simply looking for evidence the planet was habitable in a distant past, we have not completely abandoned those beliefs. says. So they want to try to tell the story, try to piece together what are the signs that of where life came from. There are speculations that billions and billions of years ago, there's almost an agenda to say we're, we have to find evidence that there was water there. We have to find evidence that there was something that would support uh, mic- microbial life. At the same time, NASA this week um, made a or gave a contract to two different um, shuttle alternatives because NASA no longer has a shuttle program, but they want to go to the state space station. We're paying the Russians to take us up there. And so they made a, uh, with, with the company SpaceX, which that um, is a, a picture, a rendering of what the SpaceX shuttle would be like. And then they also made a, a, uh, a contract with Boeing. You've heard of Boeing. And Boeing creates this capsule um, something that cracked me up when I saw this picture about the Boeing capsule is that you see something, do you see what's over the, the, the door there? It says seven person max capacity. I looked at it and I thought, they have to write that on the thing? Like, okay, it's like getting into your minivan. Now, how many seats we got in the minivan? Well, like, oh, a bunch of us are going to go ahead and go to space. Let's see how many we can fit in here. Oh, you know, there's only seven. You can only take seven. Sorry, three of you are going to have to wait till the next trip. Why do they have to have that over the door? I just, just an aside. Privatized spaceships to take us into orbit around our planet to, to connect with the, um, 
with the International Space Station. And then at the same time, um, Stephen Hawking made a statement this uh, week. And Stephen Hawking made a statement about the Higgs uh, boson particle, which is being tested at the, uh, in Switzerland at the, um, the Large Hadron Collider. With, with, and it, without delving too much into particle physics and theoretical physics, the, the, the Higgs particle uh, was more or less kind of confirmed or discovered two years ago at, at the collider as basically the, a per, the pervading um, particle of all the universe, and it speculated that it's what gives mass to different other particles. Okay, All that to say, Stephen Hawking... Who's, who has written a new book that is coming out, I believe, in November, said that there is a fear about that. And he, he wrote, the, the Higgs potential has the worrisome feature that it might become metastable at energies above this giga electron volts amount. Here's the bottom line. This could mean that the universe could undergo cat- catastrophic vacuum delay with a bubble of the true vacuum expanding at the speed of light. This could happen at any time and we wouldn't see it coming. What basically means is all matter as we know it now would cease to exist. If it started, it would travel at the speed of light through the universe, which means that there would be no advance warning. So you would be, you and I would exist one second, and the next second we would not exist because you, the fastest we can communicate or see is the speed of light. How does that make you feel? Now, all those things um, kind of go together. But let me ask you this question. If you want to put something on Twitter, we can just put this up for fun. Okay, so, so, so now uh, Virgin, I think, oh, you know, I forgot the picture. That, uh, Virgin Galactic is, has put together a spaceship. There it is. This is actually in production. Um, it's being tested now. And in, by 2015, next year, the hope is that private citizens would be able to fly into space. Right? About $250,000 a pop to get a seat. Max seven, seven people, you know. <laughs> can, can, can I just ask you this question? If you got Twitter, if, if you had a chance, let's say the cost was not a problem, like you were just invited to go to travel into space, which of these four would you say would, you, uh, would be better described whether you do it? Would you say it's, you would do it definitely? Would you do it possibly? Would you do it doubtful? Or would you do it never? Would you just, you can vote that and we'll just see what... You th- what you think, all right? Now, all these things are, are part of one prevailing mentality that captivates our attention. And they are, that they are that there is a consistent, relentless, even desperate pursuit of looking for life, where it came from, why it's here, how it's going to end, this thing that we in, on this little speck seem to have that we just can't seem to find anywhere else. In the mid-70s, the Viking mission to Mars had all kinds of hype because it was going to discover signs. They were, the, the science community was, was absolutely convinced there were going to be signs of life on the red planet. And when they got done, the, the stuff that came back said, not a chance. There's nothing there. There's, there's no signs of life there. It was very, very disappointing, but it took a couple of decades to, for the interest to just come back and say, we're going to keep looking. We're going to keep trying to find it. We've got to find an explanation for life. 
We've got to find evidence of how life could have started, how that we're not, we, we desperately don't want to be alone in the universe. Isn't that true? And so we keep looking for, what, for where, how it can be started, what, what conditions, what could, have, what could make it happen again, even though it's all theory. The search for life reveals something about humankind. And if I could say it this way, we don't like and we don't want to accept the, the explanation we've already been given. It sounds like a fairy tale. We want, we want something that sounds scientific. We want something that we can track, something that we can calculate, something that, that works with our methods of determining what's real and true and accurate. And we don't like anything else. We call it, uh, there are those who, who say that God is the God of the gaps. Science has gaps, and so that's where we have room for God. The more science fills in the gaps, the less need you have for God. I'm curious sometimes, if, with God being a person, what he thinks. When he sees his creation, look at what he's done, hear his explanations for all of it, and, and say, yeah, we're going to reject that. We want to find another way, because... Here's the thing. We have, the, the absolute bottom line answers to those questions have already been told to us, clearly told to us. You have heard, I'm sure, Genesis 1.1. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You probably have, have heard that God did this in six days. Can I tell you what I believe? I believe what I've been told, that the most plausible answer to the question has already been given to us, that we have life because one who is an eternal being of life, who defies explanation and cannot be measured by our methods, decided to share life. I believe Exodus 20, verses 9 and 11, when it says, God, it, it, this is right, this is as part of the Ten Commandments, talking about the Sabbath day and saying, keep the Sabbath, one out of seven, keep it as a day of rest. Here's the reason it gives. Six days you shall labor and do all your work because in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I believe that he created the physical universe. I believe he did it in six days. I believe that, that life came because in Genesis 2, it says that God took some of the clay that he had created, formed it into a being, sculpted it, and breathed into its nostrils the breath, the wind of life. All life comes from him hebrews eleven three says how do i know that i wasn't there i haven't seen the video i don't have the method to prove it scientifically by faith we understand the universe was formed at god's command so that what is was is seen was not made out of what was visible because the lord god took the breath of life breathed it into the being and and he it became a living being it says I believe that that origin of that 
was spoken through the one who manifests God, the Godhead in, form, in physical form. That the Christ, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, before he put on flesh, was involved in the creation of you and me and our, through our ancestors. Because John 1 says through him, this is John 1, 3 and 4, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, listen to this, in him was life. And this, that life was the light of man. Acts 3.15, when Jesus was killed, this phrase got used to me, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. I also believe that we have not just been told where it's coming, coming from, but we've already been told how it ends. I do not believe that we will make the, the, uh, the planet perish by our own hand. I don't believe that a giant asteroid is going to hit us and that will make us cease to exist. Why, how do I know that? I know it because God already explained how it's going to end. God, who created this earth and, and the heavens too, saw it fall, saw it corrupted, and cursed it said, I'm going to redeem it, but I'm going to create a new one. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Until that time, listen, listen to what uh, Scripture says about what will happen to, uh, to that in first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. In fact, if you have a Bible, this is just worth it looking at. Access to a Bible. God already said how, how, what's going to happen. Second, uh, Second Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Whoever would love... I'm sorry, I'm First Peter. I'll get there. Oh, you can Twitter about it. I don't know where I am in the Bible. That's All right. But a day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But it, Now, you hear that you go, that kind of sounds like the particle did its job. But there's a person behind it. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. We know how this story is going to end. So we can keep digging. We can keep searching. I might go to space if they ask me to go. What did you say? but we're not going to find a different answer. We might find out more of the details. We might find confirming things that show us how a little bit more how it could happen. But there is somebody behind this. There is somebody who created its inception. There is somebody who is sustaining it. There is somebody who is going to bring closure to it and create a new heaven and a new earth. All right. Now, I would like to have not done the next one, but... Doggone it, if we are in a time where from one week to the next, we just keep having an NFL player who does something to a family member, and it's everything everybody's talking about. And this week, it was Adrian Peterson, who has a four-year-old son. 
And as you probably heard, if you've heard the news at all, Adrian Peterson was indicted. And he, he was charged with reckless or negligent injury to a child. The Montgomery County, Texas, a district attorney said, parents are entitled to discipline their children as they see fit, except when that discipline exceeds what the community would say is reasonable. And what Adrian C. Pete, who's a very, very large and very strong man, did was when his one kid was tormenting another kid, he got what they call a switch. Flexible piece of stick off a tree, took the branches off it, and he spanked his child with it. The problem was that the boy suffered cuts and bruises. And there we have a picture of what was the basis for that. It drew blood, it left bruises, and there are cuts to his back, buttocks, ankles, and legs. He uh, turned himself in. Uh, He made a statement. And a firestorm started. He, was, he missed uh, last Sunday, but then he, the, at a press conference, the Minnesota Vikings said he had returned to the team, he was going to play, and that created public opinion in an uproar about somebody who abuses their child. Since then, they have reversed field. He has been placed on the exempt commissioner's permission list, which does not allow him to play or participate in any team activities. He's got to stay away from the team until the legal proceedings are resolved. He made a statement. Here's a statement. I am not a perfect son. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect parent. But I am, without a doubt, not a child abuser. I am someone that disciplined his child and did not intend to cause him any injury. No one can understand the hurt I feel for my son and for the harm I caused him. My goal is always to teach my son right from wrong, and that's what I tried to do that day. I accept the fact that people feel very strongly about this issue and what they think about my conduct. Regardless of what others think, however, I love my son very much and I will continue to become a better father and person. So raised polarizing views. And this comes to the church. This comes to us. This comes to you. Right? So among the things that we have to ask ourselves is why, why did this get our attention so much? What does it say about us? Possibly what it says is we live in this place too. Raises questions for the way we were raised. It raises questions for the way you as a parent right now might be raising your children. There's a very protective mentality about our children in our culture right now. Lots and lots of studies have been done starting with Dr. Spock a couple generations ago and continuing on about the place of what's called corporal punishment. The use of physical discipline in child raising. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it barbaric? Is it, is it a necessity? And that then extends into some things that have even be, come out this week where uh, one of you sent me a, a link to um, a, a mother who, was in, uh, who had somebody knock at the door and children's services came to them because a neighbor saw their six-year-old child playing in the empty lot across the street without anybody out there. The mother had sent the six-year-old, kind of looks out the window, but saw, but the, uh, a neighbor saw that they weren't supervised and said that they were child-endangering. You may or may not have an opinion about that. Everybody feels very strongly about the safety of children. Every parent feels strongly about how they raise their children. So, what does God say? I'm going to give you two... Um, 
principles from Scripture today. And I would like to ask you, before I get everybody in the, half the room mad at one time or another, um, to think about them and hear both of them before you react. All right, so here, here, here are the two principles. First of all, God says something very clearly about the place and effect of pain as an instructor toward righteousness even physical pain. And God does say specifically things about parents and what he calls the rod, meaning the instrument with which a child would be physically disciplined for doing wrong. Here's what the word of God says. And can I, I'm going to tell you that I will never hesitate around here. I don't care if it's politically correct. I don't care if it's incorrect. I will never hesitate. This is my guide. This, I believe, from cover to cover is the word of God. Properly interpreted, I believe it is the guidebook to life. It is absolutely true and pure. I believe that. When there is doubt, I look at his book. I look at his word. This is, some, this is when his word talks about this area. Almost all of these are in the book of Proverbs, but there's some others. This is what Proverbs says, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Twenty-two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child, and that word for discipline is physical, it's the physical discipline word. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. If you do it right, right? 23, 14, punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. 29, 15, these are all in Proverbs. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. There is a clear principle in Scripture. It not only says, let me say it this way. The scripture does not command parents to use corporal punishment with their children. These are Proverbs. Their truisms, their recommendations. It doesn't command it, but it certainly condones it. That might make a whole bunch of us uncomfortable. You know who it most makes uncomfortable? Those of us who have either witnessed abuse or experienced it ourselves. We get really uncomfortable. The, one of the strongest letters I ever received was when I mentioned and quoted James Dobson who is a well-known um, child psychologist and author on this subject. And somebody took me to task saying, that the Bible does not mean it when it says that? Well, no, it does. There is not a scholar anywhere who says, who knows Hebrew, who, know, who says otherwise. Here's what James Dobson said. Can I just read you a little bit about from what, what he said? Corporal punishment, when used lovingly, and properly is beneficial to a child because it is in harmony with nature itself. Consider the purpose of minor pain in a child's life and how he learns from it. Suppose two-year-old Peter pulls out on a tablecloth and when it comes off, when it comes, and with it comes a vase of roses that cracks him between the eyes. From the pain, he learns that it's dangerous to pull out on a tablecloth unless he knows what sits on it. 
When he touches a hot stove, he quickly learns that the heat must be respected. If he lives to be 100 years old, he will never again reach out and touch the red-hot coils of a stove. The same lesson is learned when he pulls the doggy's tail and probably gets a a neat row of teeth marks across the back of his hand. Or when he climbs out of his high chair, when mom isn't looking and discovers all about gravity. During the childhood years, he typically accumulates minor bumps, bruises, scratches, and burns, each one teaching him about life's boundaries. The pain associated with these events teaches him to avoid making the same mistakes again. God created this mechanism as a valuable vehicle for instruction. That's a long quote, but just stick with me. When a parent administers a reasonable spanking in response to willful disobedience, a similar nonverbal message is being given to the child. He must understand that there are not only dangers in the physical world to be avoided, he should also be wary of dangers in his social world, such as defiance, sassiness, selfishness, temper trantums, behavior that puts his life in danger, that which hurts others, etc. The minor pain associated with this deliberate misbehavior tends to inhibit it, just as discomfort works to shape behavior in the physical world. Neither conveys hatred, neither results in rejection. Neither makes the child more violent. There are studies all over the place, and it all depends on who commissioned the study, what the results are. You can, you can go out right now, you can search studies on the use of physical discipline and you can find studies that absolutely say there is no evidence whatsoever that it helps, it actually enhance, it, it pushes people toward violent behavior as adults. You can see other studies that say that is absolutely fundamentally incorrect. Everybody's kind of got an agenda going into it in this thing. I believe what God says. God says there's something to this as a parent. I personally believe we've paid a price in our society by losing vision of some of that. Okay, now have I made some of you mad? All right. Here's the second principle that has to go along with that. And that is, the, it has to do with the critical, crucial elimination of anger and rage and violence and temper as a presence accompanying this behavior. Here is what most of a a whole lot of us in the room have never been able to understand because we've never seen it modeled. That something can happen, that you can separate anger from behavior. That somebody can enact an act that is a discipline and not be fueled by rage or anger when they're doing it. The Bible is very, very clear about the place of rage and anger in our lives and in our souls. In Ecclesiastes, it says a, a bunch of things. It says, do not, this is Ecclesiastes 7.9, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Proverbs 14.17 says, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. Proverbs 14.29 says, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about the emotion of anger. In Ephesians 4, Paul the Apostle wrote to the followers of Jesus and says, let's talk about your anger. Because he's going to say very, very clearly, you lay aside anger, you lay aside anger. But he says, this is the phrase, in your anger, he's quoting from Old Testament Scripture, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He says when you do it, you actually give the devil a foothold in your life. Uh, Ephesians 4.31 goes on to say, get rid of it, eliminate it. Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
The Bible says that it uses the same terminology for corporal punishment when it says how God treats us. It's obviously a metaphor. But in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says the Lord disciplines those he loves and he, and the word it's translated different ways, punishes. But the word actually means to give physical discipline. Everyone he accepts as a son. Endure that as a discipline. God is treating you as sons. He says in, in Hebrews 12, 9, Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Again, some of us have never seen that happen. And here's what here's, I'm going to just give you a practical thought based on what God says about this, all right? If you are a parent and you have a child, you are called on in a primary role to discipline your child. Meaning to, set, to correct them, to bring them toward righteousness, to help them feel consequences when they misbehave. As part of the arsenal, forgive the word, of God's resources for us to do that, one of those is what we just read about. But... If you can't do that without being angry, without feeling a level of payback, then don't do it. They, they must not, they cannot ex- exist with unless both of those are there. That the removal of rage is, is, is taken out of the, the equation. If you can't do that, never use it. But can I just call on us to do this? You are sitting among a group of people who are, have a, there's a whole spectrum here. Very, some very, very passionate. And some could share very horrific stories about this area. We need to respect that. We need to understand that there's a danger here. We need to know that this is a deeply troubling part of our culture. But there is a way that we as followers of the living God who's given us instructions can be exemplary about this. That if we use this method of correction, that we do it as as people who show the world how it can be done out of love. I heard somebody say once, I don't want to spank my child unless I feel like I'm about to weep as I do it. Not that I'm angry. Just because I feel the pain of the, how important the direction of their life is and that responsibility. Can, I bet that if we get in our cell groups this week, we could have a very lively conversation about this. Can I call on you to respect each other? Yes, if we see abuse, we deal with it. We report it. We hold people's feet to the fire about that. But if, there, if there's somebody who does not agree or does not use the same amount of technique with, as you, within the, bo- the bounds of what God has to say, respect the difference and let's empower each other to live that way. Everybody, everybody mad now? Let's go on to one other. One other thing that was trending just in the last, uh, just the last couple of days. And that is that for some reason, something has happened a little more commonly on September 11th, which was what, nine days ago? Ten, ten days ago? Which, of course, September 11th is the um, anniversary of, of, the, of the terrorist attacks. The White House was briefly locked down when a man wearing a Pikachu hat 
and a Pikachu doll, carrying a Pikachu doll, jumped the fence at the White House and started running, sprinting across the lawn. The dogs were released, and he didn't get very far. It happens occasionally, perhaps not with the Pikachu thing. He was carted off. No one thought too much about it. And then Friday, two days ago, at 7.20 p.m. on the north side of the White House along Pennsylvania Avenue, about four minutes after President Obama and his two daughters and friend departed in their helicopter, Marine One, from the South Lawn, something happened again. There's a little bit of rough video that this is what happened. A man jumped the fence again. 42-year-old Omar Gonzalez of Calparis Cove, Texas, ran toward the White House found the front door open and got inside the front door before he was caught. He has been charged. And then yesterday, less than 24 hours later, a New Jersey man was arrested Saturday after driving. At first, he walked up to, a, to one of the gates and tried to get in, had trouble. Then he got in his car and made his way to the gate, refused to leave, and they drew firearms, and he was arrested. His name is Kevin Carr from Shamong, New Jersey. Okay, so something's up with people trying to get in the White House, people trying to get to see the president. I have a... Here, here's a question. You, you want to just put this down? Right? Who, who's the most famous person you ever got close to? Like you physically got close to? Would you just write them down? Let's just see what, we've, what our experience has been. That doesn't mean you climbed a fence to get to them. Just give us a name. What's, who's, who's the most famous person that you have um, been actually in the physical presence of? And we'll just kind of scroll those. All right. And then, you know what? Let me... We'll ask, we're going to have to, let's go to two questions at the same time, all right? You can answer, what, who's the most famous person? Here's the other question I want to ask you, your thought is. These guys all are trying to get to the White House. What do you suppose they were, what do you, what do you think they were trying to get, what do, you, what do you think they were trying to do? Like, what were they trying to get in for? Okay, so if you have a thought about that, you may just kind of throw that in there too. What do you suppose they were trying to get in there for? Now, it raises a, 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 a several things. about the, Part of the reason why this is maybe gets our attention is because we live in a violent world and we live in a world where you know, we see a lot of people trying to attack leaders. And, it, and, and in some ways, the White House for us, doesn't it represent security? I mean, the greatest security in the world is said to be around the White House. If somebody can get in the front door of the White House, that gets, uh, makes us nervous. I am told that there will, heads are going to roll in the Secret Service about this. That this is not going to just be, this is going to cause some pretty significant problems because this must not happen. We can't, somebody can't just get into the door of the White House. So we have, we feel like it represents something about our security. The other thing it does is it brings up the whole thing about people who are in positions of power or popularity or influence and how there's this sense of inaccessibility around them, isn't there? That, that they're too important for people like you and me to be able to get to them. Chances are pretty good that even if you have something really important that you want to talk to the President of the United States about, you're, ch- you're not going to get in to see him. 
right? I mean, you probably can't even get in to see the head of your company where you work very easily. There, there's, there's these lines of, of protection around them. And, and there's reasons. It's because, well, the, there's lots of demands on their time. And, and any threat has to be eliminated. And if there's any questionable motives whatsoever about it, we need to make sure that people, you know, people don't know why they're being approached. But the thing is, they've got more important things to do than to, be, to give audience to you or to me. And, we, and so they feel like they, they're at risk and they want to be protected. I had, um, I had this... this thing happened when um i i when i years ago i was in a church a rather large church in akron and i would i would speak i wasn't the senior pastor there but i i did a lot of speaking there and we had multiple services and six to eight thousand people would come on a, a sunday and so i but i noticed something when i would be in front you know I, I, when it was time to speak i would be preaching and I noticed there was a guy who was very, very attentive who used to sit right, right near the front row, first or second row. And he would be there and he would be paying attention. And this, this guy was really into what I was saying. I was like, man, this guy, this guy thinks I got it. And then we'd do one service and then we'd take a break and all the cars would come and go. And then another couple thousand people would come in. And then this guy was there again. I'm like, he didn't get enough. He's like, wow, he's got, he wants to pay more attention. And maybe the second time is better than the first. We do it, go through third service, the guy's there again. And I was just so excited that he was just such a fan. I'm, you know. And, th- and then I thought it was a little odd. Like, what's up with this guy? And so I asked somebody else, and I said, hey, did you see the guy on the, on the second row? And I said, you know, what's, what's up with that? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that guy is former special ops. Uh, he's military. And we have him there because in a church this large, it's not uncommon for people to feel like they got to get somebody's attention and they might make their way up toward you as the speaker. And I said, oh. <laughs> he is there to make sure that doesn't happen. Do you know that... Um, here, as part of our security here, there are people in our group who are volunteers who, if something happens in this room, they have volunteered and they go into action. And their job, in my mind, is protect the pastor. Because there's a reality in our world, right? You just don't get close to people who are in power. You don't, you know, you have to protect them. Here's, here's what this illustrates. Something that is absolutely mind-boggling. God has always been holy and God has always been unapproachable by sinners. He has said it all the way through the, the Old Testament. You try to get close to the presence of God and you die. In fact, the whole sacrificial system was revolved around a practice where somebody would represent you and I and go to meet with God once a year, would go to the Holy of Holies, the only time anybody went into 
what was considered the presence of God was the Holy Holies in the middle of the temple, protected by all kinds of things. It had this very thick curtain from top to bottom that guarded it. And we go through a whole bunch of ceremonial cleansing and a whole, whole lot of confession and a whole lot of anointing. And then the only one person, and it was the high priest, once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and would have the opportunity to have an audience more or less kind of face-to-face with the Most High God. People who tried to do otherwise met their end. And then something happened. God, who is holy and who is powerful, took action. And when Jesus went to the cross, And Jesus took the sin payment for human beings on his body. He took all all of your punishment, all of mine on his body. At one time, concentrate on the body of deity who willingly sacrifices his life so that my life sentence can be paid for. When that happens and when he gives up his spirit and says, commends himself into his father's care and dies... At that moment, something happens inside the temple. From the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top, there's an earthquake. And from the top to the bottom, this thick, six-inch thick curtain that, that kept people away from the presence of the Most High God, it tore in half. It pulled back, opening up the Holy of Holies, making it accessible to anybody who wanted to walk in there. Here's what the Bible says about it. This is from Hebrews chapter 10. As a result of that, it says uh, Hebrews ten nineteen, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and by a new and living way opened to, for us through the curtain, and that is His body. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, this is Jesus. Listen to what it says: Let's draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. Ephesians 3, you know what Ephesians 3 says. Ephesians 3.12, you have it. If you've got a program today, it's on the front of your program. And it says, in him, talking about Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know why? John 1.12 says why. To everyone who receives him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children, the children of God. We're not just the servants of God. We're not just the created beings of God. We are the children of God. I'm adopted into God's family. Do you know that four minutes before that guy went into the, over the fence and tried, into the front door, four minutes before that, the president left. Did you hear who he was with? He was with one other friend, and he was with his two daughters. Do you know what? His two daughters can walk right in the gate. His two daughters can walk right into his presence. They have permission to see the dad anytime they want. You know why? They're his daughters. They're his family. Here's what Jesus offered and did for you and I. 
he opened the door and said, you're adopted now. You are allowed to have access to me and you can come with confidence. You can come with boldness. You can come with freedom. Romans 8, 14 and following says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, children of God. Because you didn't, when you become a follower of Jesus, it says you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship. And because of that, we cry out, Abba, Father. The word is Aramaic, it's Papa. It's an endearing term. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And that means that you don't have to hop a fence to get close to the God who made you and loves you. That right now, right where you sit, right where we are, you are granted full, complete access. You can talk with God any moment. You don't need a mediator. You don't need a priest. You don't need to ask me to pray for you. You don't need to ask. You can go directly to God. You can have a conversation as a child with a father with the most high God of the universe, the most powerful being of all. There's an intimacy and involvement invited. And we can experience that. The door, the gate has been pushed wide open. You will not be chased down. You will not have to guard yourself against dogs. You can wear whatever hat you want. And that is a good God who gives good access to his good people because of what his son has done. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship that God. All right, We're going to shout his goodness. So uh, let's, let's think about that as we do. Let's pray. We just looked at a whole bunch of stuff, God, that's going on in our world. I wonder sometimes, we wonder what you, what you think of it. What it indicates to you about the state of our souls and our, and our country and our world. But we want to thank you that you're involved, that you give us answers, that you give us perspective, and that you give us this invitation. That you have made us free. We can celebrate your goodness because... What your son did eliminated all the barrier between you and us that we can be right now without having to think about the phrases we can say. We can be free in your presence. We can be embraced by you and know that we are being held in eternal life in arms that won't let us go by a father who cares and is involved and will guard us, who will give good gifts in our, in our life and gives us total, complete access. Thank you. We want to celebrate the fact that you are that good a God. If there's anybody here in the room, and I, I'm sure there are some, who have yet to take the step of faith that does business with you and says, I believe and I will embrace your payment on the cross through your son for my sin to have that access. Would you make today the day that even right now as we're about to sing about the day that you set us free, make, make today that day so we can say with joy and with happiness, we praise you because this is the day that you made us your children. This is the day that we got to draw close. Make that so. And thank you in the name of your son. Amen.